Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. Her name is Rochelle Peterson. She is a senior research fellow with the National Association of Scholars, and she joined me a day or so ago in a pre-recorded interview to discuss Confucius Institutes and foreign funding of American nonprofits. So I'm just going to turn this podcast today over to that pre-recorded interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Influence Watch podcast out of the Capital Research Center. My name is Sarah Lee. I'm the External Relations and Communications Director uh, with the Capital Research Center. I, I am rarely doing the Influence Watch podcast, but this week I wanted to do it because I had a really interesting conversation recently um, with someone who uh, is with an organization that has done a great deal of work in a space that we are just now kind of exploring at Capital Research Center. Um, I started recently looking at Confucius Institutes and foreign funding into nonprofits, which that falls under. Um, these institutes are arguably uh, propaganda arms of the Chinese government, the, the uh, Chinese communist government. Um, and they're in our universities here in the United States. Uh, so I started looking at this recently and I came across some excellent work uh, from an organization called the National Association of Scholars. So I reached out to them to sort of discuss their work. They've been working on it for several years, certainly on the cutting edge before many people even knew what was happening. And I spoke with a, a woman named Rochelle Peterson, who is the senior research fellow there, and she is wonderful, and she's going to tell us about Confucius Institutes. And we're also going to talk briefly about um, the issue of whether or not donor disclosure is all over the news right now, whether or not donor privacy is um, something that we should um, sort of be sacrosanct about, keep donors private, or if people that give to nonprofits should be identified. Um, so Capital Research Center takes a very strong stance on privacy, but we may need a different standard when it comes to foreign individuals giving to uh, U.S. nonprofits to affect policy here. So Rochelle and I are going to discuss that as well. Rochelle Peterson, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You, you are quite welcome to be on. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. It's super policy wonky, but... You're the expert on this, and I just want our listeners to hear about Confucius Institutes. So take it away. What are they? What's happening with Confucius Institutes? What do you see happening? Tell us what they are. Confucius Institutes are Chinese government-funded centers on American college campuses. Really, they're on college campuses around the world, uh, but the U.S. has uh, been the host of more Confucius Institutes than any other nation. These are centers uh, staffed by teachers chosen by the Chinese government, funded by the Chinese government, using textbooks selected and paid for by the Chinese government and funneling money from the Chinese government to colleges and universities, in many cases, purchasing influence over those institutions and buying their silence uh, to avoid criticizing the authoritarian nature of the Chinese Communist Party. The U.S. has had uh, 
at its peak, 110 Confucius Institutes. Uh, now that number is going down. There's been a lot of criticism recently. We're now at about 50 Confucius Institutes. But the, the new development uh, is that many colleges and universities, unfortunately, are closing these Confucius Institutes only to reopen something substantially similar. So this is an ongoing issue that requires ongoing vigilance. Okay, so so contextualize this just a little bit for our listeners, because this is really wonky. It's a policy thing, right? So unless you're really interested in, pol- in American policy, if you're the average person watching the news, you might hear about Confucius Institute, um, but it, you might not really get uh, why it could be a problem um, and if there's a way to kind of gauge that they already have been a problem. Um, contextualize why this is so, this is something that even the highest uh, levels of our government is, are beginning to take a look at. Well, I think it, it, take a, a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Say your child is going to college and is interested in taking a class on Chinese. So they go to their course catalog, they find a course on Chinese, they sign up for it, uh, they take this class, learn uh, some Chinese characters and some Chinese words, but also get a little bit of propaganda in there with it. And they never know that this class is actually funded by the Chinese government. The textbooks were not chosen by the university. They're chosen by the Chinese communist government. And that actually this has been funded by a foreign party. That's basically how Confucius Institutes operate. Um, they're not highly visible necessarily, Um, If you're really paying attention on campus, you'll know that there's a Confucius Institute and this class is not exactly the same as other classes, but it's basically a foreign government renting classroom space and borrowing the prestige and credibility of the college and university uh, to set up its propaganda under the disguise of a regular class. Now, sometimes these Confucius Institute classes are not for credit and they're kind of extracurriculars, but a lot of times they are for credit. Students are using their regular tuition dollars, signing up for this like they would sign up for any other class, not necessarily realizing um, that this is a foreign communist government uh, sponsoring this class. So it's not really as wonky as it as it might seem. It's, it's pretty straightforward of a problem. Um, and you mentioned that this is attracting the interest of the highest levels of government. Uh, that is that is very true. Um, the FBI director, Chris Ray, has testified before the Senate that the FBI is investigating cases of espionage coming from Confucius Institutes. Under the Trump administration, the State Department um, targeted Confucius Institutes, recommended colleges and universities close these Confucius Institutes. They put some measures in place to require some more transparency. Uh, they investigated Um, visa fraud going on at Confucius Institutes. And we have had multiple bills introduced at both the House and the Senate targeting Confucius Institutes, not to mention uh, state um, House and Senate um, taking up bills to to look at this and um, ask for the closure of these institutes. A lot of people are mobilized on the topic. uh, And yet, Um, This is an issue that hasn't gone away and will not go away because the Chinese government has mastered the art of overseas influence. And if Confucius Institutes do eventually close down, they will turn to other means. 
So talk to me very briefly about how they're doing that. They're, you're, you mentioned at the top of the show that they might be rebranding and that concerns you. What are, Should people be on the lookout for what the new name might be? Yes. I, I don't think they're going to be unified under a single new name. I mm-hmm. think the Chinese government has gotten a little more sophisticated about this. So it's not like every Confucius Institute is going to now have a a different name and they'll all be kind of under the same brand. Um, It's more that these Confucius Institutes are closing, but colleges and universities are seeking out new ways of engaging with the Chinese government. Uh, The Chinese government is also seeking this out. Uh, So it's both parties trying to find a workaround. Uh, And so at some universities, that looks like um, an American university becoming a sister university with a Chinese university where they have all kinds of exchange programs going on and dual degree programs and um, hosting teachers and, and doing things that are in a lot of ways pretty similar to Confucius Institutes. At other times, it means setting up a new center on China that will offer pretty much the same classes that the Confucius Institute offered. It just isn't officially called a Confucius Institute. Sometimes that means funding is going to keep coming from the same Chinese government-backed agency to a college or university. And uh, that funding is going to support Chinese language programs that seem to be suffering from a lot of the same problems, perhaps um, being a a tool of of spreading propaganda. But exactly how this is going to work is not clear yet. This is a pretty new development. But what is clear is that colleges and universities have not taken to heart the warnings and the calls to uh, keep engagement with the Chinese government at arm's length. Uh, They may be forced to close their Confucius Institute, but they are rushing to find some other way to uh, engage with the Chinese communist government in a way that is not really appropriate. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a great segue now into this discussion of, you know, privacy of, you know, donor privacy. Um, last year, late October, the, um, and I know you know this, so this is just for the benefit of anyone listening. The U.S. Department of Education issued a report where they um, basically revealed that something like Six billion in funding and resources from foreign sources and that not just China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, UAE, uh, Qatar um, had come in to American universities and had gone unreported in violation of law that requires them to report that those funds. So you and I have talked about this and we talked about ways to sort of combat this or address that in the future. And you mentioned that you thought um, there should be some stricter and correct me if I'm wrong, some stricter disclosure requirements, um, you know, where you said, you know, we want the names of some of these foreign individuals who are who are giving um, to try to shape our policy here. And that led me to say, well, you know, donor privacy is pretty important to Capital Research Center. So I wanted you to and, and I stand by that. But I do want you to explain your thinking on a stricter disclosure requirement for um, to combat what Confucius Institutes have been doing. Right. And just to emphasize again, we're talking about gifts coming from foreign parties, from foreign Mm -hmm. individuals and foreign institutions. And already uh, in federal law, there is a pretty 
clear distinction between the standards for domestic donors and foreign donors. Mm -hmm. Um, Foreigners cannot contribute to uh, political campaigns, for instance. Um, And when it comes to foreign donors to colleges and universities, the risks of uh, seeking to influence public policy or seeking to influence the hearts and minds of the next generation are pretty high. The the incentives for a foreign donor to contribute to an American college are very different um, from those that might motivate a domestic donor. Um, It is probably not simply uh, a desire to support Uh, the expansion of knowledge and teaching of the next generation, because there are colleges and universities in that foreign donors home country as well. There, there are likely other incentives at play, including having some kind of influence and steering American institutions in the donors preferred direction. So um, I think that is part is a big part of why uh, there should be different um, rules for, uh, donors or donations coming from foreign parties and those coming from domestic parties. Um, specifically, what we're talking about here is a law from 1986 that's referred to as Section 117. And mm-hmm. that law requires that colleges and universities have to report to the Department of Education when they receive gifts or enter into contracts with foreign sources that total $250,000 or more in a single calendar year. That law has been woefully unenforced until just the last two years when the Trump administration took that law seriously and investigated colleges and universities for noncompliance, found, as you mentioned, uh, $6.5 billion in unreported funding. This is money that legally was required to be disclosed and never was. But even still, we have a big gaping hole in those disclosures, which is that Unless the money is coming directly from a foreign government, the disclosure won't tell you who gave the money or what it's for, Mm -hmm. um, only if it's coming from a foreign government. And this is why I why the National Association of Scholars advocates for requiring the disclosure of the name of the donor, because if you can see Harvard got uh, 15 million dollars from sources in China, but you have no idea who it is, that doesn't really provide any meaningful disclosure. There's a big red flag there that all this money is coming in, but the public is totally clueless as to what this money was for, um, who gave this money. Um, We need to have additional information available to be able to hold colleges and universities accountable and to let them know that Uh, the day of doing these kind of backdoor deals with foreign donors is over and that if they want to accept money from uh, foreign parties, they have to be aware that the the terms of those um, gifts are going to see the light of day and the public will hold them accountable. Okay, so yes, I I think that this is a definitely a debate that Capital Research Center. We've waded into a little bit. We're we're working on, um, you know, we just wrote about a Swiss billionaire, for example, who was trying to buy Tribune papers. He's since rescinded his bid, but he was giving to some very partisan nonprofits here in the United States, and we definitely wrote about that. So um, I do think this this 
discussion of the difference between um, sort of foreign spending and, and funding of nonprofits versus domestic uh, funding is one that I I think it's just an interesting debate, and I I'm so happy you came on to to discuss it with us. And um, is there anything else you want to say about the Confucius Institutes before we close? Just one quick anecdote on why this kind of disclosure with the name really is important. I mentioned Confucius Institutes are rebranding. Mm-hmm. As part of that, the Chinese government has opted to set up a nonprofit organization that is going to be running Confucius Institutes. Technically, they are no longer directly run by the Chinese government. They're run by this nonprofit, which is then funded by the Chinese government and staffed by Chinese Communist Party officials. So basically, it's an extension of the Chinese government. But on paper, it's not a government institution. Mm -hmm. So when colleges and universities are filing their disclosures, they don't have to, again, list the name of the institution that gave them this money because it's no longer directly a government agency. And so the fact that the Chinese communist government and other authoritarian governments have this very easy workaround to circumvent our disclosure laws, I think is um, another testament to why we need to ask for the names of the donors and, and get this additional information. Okay, fair enough. And I know, you know, again, anecdotally, some of the some of the things I've heard about what is taught in the Confucius Institutes. You know, there have been anecdotal sort of interviews with teachers and they've said things like, well, we're we're required to downplay Tiananmen Square and things like that. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had okay. one, uh, say that to me as well. Okay. So, yeah. So that, that for anyone listening is what we're talking about here. Um, you know, that that's what your kids might be learning at college campuses if they enroll in some of these, um, some of these Confucius Institute classes. So Rochelle, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this to us. Um, the work you guys at NAS, Na- National Association of Scholars, the work you've done on it is so great. And I encourage anyone to go read it. Um, is there a place people can go look to find this information pretty easily? NAS.org. Okay. And um, yeah, and look for Rochelle's stuff too, because I've read several of the things that she's written um, and it's really well done and it's very compelling and argument. the arguments are always well thought out. And so excellent work. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have already subscribed, thank you very much. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.